0: It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director
1: Jeff Cranston.
0: Hi, once again, welcome to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. Uh, This week, I'm very pleased to have with me uh, John Paracchio, who is the chairman of the Michigan Council on Future Mobility and he's gonna share insights on the council's work.
1: I remember being at one conference and the Secretary of the Department of Transportation of the state of Louisiana cornered me and I uh, just said hey we've gotta get uh, on the ball with uh, with connected and automated and we look to Michigan as a a great example and as a leader.
0: We're also going to talk about uh, connected and automated vehicles which is part of the council's Mission and in our portfolio, but it's not everything uh, when it comes to the future of mobility. And John will explain why that is. And we're also going to talk about uh, what that means, what automated vehicles could mean to the future of mobility, and especially in a state like Michigan with an elderly population. And uh, what I think is really a, an imperative to try to provide more mobility options and, and extend the freedom for people as they age.
1: That's where we have a huge opportunity to you know, make people's lives easier.
0: We're going to talk about toll roads again because the bill that would authorize that study of tolling is making its way to the full senate floor and uh, if I was a betting person I think it's going to make it out of the legislature and to the governor's desk. And John has unique perspective on these things and some expertise as a matter of fact.
1: I think um, the interest of the Council on Future Mobility in tolling is less about you know, the revenue generated or, or how the money will be spent, but more to, um, to make certain that technology is a part of the um, study.
0: And then we're going to talk also about electric vehicles, which are kind of going hand in hand with the uh, development of automated vehicles. And a big question that keeps coming up, and I see this in media more and more, about the uh, disposal of batteries. So, John, thank you very much for taking the time to do
1: this. So, Jeff, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So let's start by talking about the council. And it was created in 2016, and, you know, very, very strong bipartisan support for uh, the package of bills uh, that enabled testing on the roads of—actually, uh, operations on the, on the roads of automated vehicles in Michigan. And the Council was a key part of that legislative package.
1: That's correct. So uh, Public Act 332 of 2016 uh, created the uh, Council on Future Mobility. It is the same law, as you pointed out, that enables on-road testing of highly automated and connected vehicles on, on public roadways. Uh, the council's statutory responsibility is to advise the governor, the legislature, and the heads of relevant state departments on how best to promote the development of technologies associated with connected and automated vehicles. And the council has, has expanded that uh, uh, a bit on its own to include enhancing personal mobility uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, the council is comprised of 21 members pretty evenly split between the public sector and the private sector. We have four legislators uh, who are non-voting members of the council but often are very active uh, participants. And um, we are required at least to do one annual report to the governor and the legislature, which we have done each year since uh, 2016. And, And that report highlights the vision of the council, its mission. Sort of the, the, the background principles of making recommendations on policy, and then explores various action items that the council uh, determines at the beginning of the year and then uh, uh, works through uh, through the course of the year.
0: And it's one of the things that really sets Michigan apart and, I guess, uh, allowed Michigan to continue to be a national leader in terms of what we can do in, in government to support academia and private industry in the development and deployment of automated vehicles. Uh, how important would you say the, the council is to that, considering that other states don't have something like the council?
1: Right. So it's interesting. Uh, I and um, my colleagues at Michigan DOT have been approached by uh, officials from a number of states. And I have provided uh, a copy of the law that created the council and enables uh, on-road testing of highly automated vehicles, as well as our annual rep- reports. I remember being at one conference, and the secretary of the Department of Transportation of the state of Louisiana cornered me and uh, just said, hey, we've got to get uh, on the ball with uh, with connected and automated, and we look to Michigan as a, a, a great example and as a leader. And I think that... Um, We've always been open to collaborating with other states. Uh, that's been our policy and we share any of our learning that they uh, are interested in with them.
0: So let's talk, even though you you make the point and I completely agree and I think the council members completely agree that the council can't be entirely about automated vehicles and traditional vehicle travel, that there are a lot of other things going on with the future mobility and we talk about transit and um, Obviously, paid a great deal of attention to the mobility challenge and that, that that transit component. But since a lot of this was tied into connected and automated vehicle legislation, um, you know, what do you think the future holds? Do you think that uh, some people are being too optimistic about when we'll move to? to highly automated, let alone fully automated, or do you think it's uh, going to be a slower track than some experts predict?
1: Well, my, my personal view, and it, it seems like that view is being uh, uh, more widely adopted, is that it will be a long time before you will see fully autonomous vehicles, particularly in mixed traffic, in volume deployment. It's just very difficult to conceive that these systems will be able to work with uh the myriad of of not just uh, vehicles electric or, or internal combustion engine driven but around pedestrians bicyclists people on scooters dogs on skateboards i mean the, you know the the traffic world is very diverse and very complicated and the way we humans uh interact with uh other uh, vehicles and with uh, other modes that are that are around the uh the public roadways is uh is unique and for robotic systems to be able to do that it's a a huge challenge now i will say this uh even though i think yeah as i say it's a fully autonomous is is a long way off the technologies that are being developed for highly automated vehicles short of that are very beneficial to preventing crashes and saving lives uh advanced driver assistance systems are now using the technologies that have been developed for highly automated uh, vehicles. And this is really important because we lose a lot of people on the nation's roadways. We lose people in Michigan. And to be blunt, they really do not need to be uh, killed or injured. We have technologies that can, at a minimum, mitigate those risks.
0: I have to believe that the reason after we had been trending up some, both nationally and in Michigan, in fatal crashes the past several years. Um, and then started to trend down last year, and I think we will. The numbers again at the end of this year will show a, a slight decline, and that's tied into the technology, I believe, because it, it's not because we're crea- creating fewer distractions for ourselves. I mean, those are growing worse all the time, but at the same time, the, the fatal crashes are diminishing somewhat, and this technology has to be part of that reason.
1: A- ab- absolutely, crash avoidance uh, technologies that are now you know routinely. Um, uh, incorporated into newer vehicles, uh, make make a huge uh, difference, and and it's very important that we continue to develop these technologies. Which is why the original premise for creating the council to promote the development of these technologies is no less relevant, even though the the volume deployment of fully autonomous or what I call robot vehicles is probably a long way off.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You've noticed this, and I have too, because we've uh, commissioned a couple polls on this just to gauge uh, Michigan citizen reaction and their feelings about automated vehicles. And if you ask people um, if they like anti-lock brakes or lane assist or rear assist or, you know, just about any crash avoidance technology we've created, they say, yes, overwhelming numbers, you know, the hands go up. And then you say, "Um, how do you feel about, you know, driverless cars? there's a lot less enthusiasm. And I, I think people haven't made that connection yet to, to how these things are going to creep up incrementally. And before you know it, your car will be completely outfitted.
1: Right. And and I think the, the way you get people comfortable is uh, through pilots. Uh, there's a, a company that I know you know well, May Mobility, uh, that is, is working with uh, Bedrock, uh, part of the Dan Gilbert family of companies in downtown Detroit. They just... Uh, uh, deployed a pilot in Grand Rapids. We had an opportunity at a council meeting over the summer to uh, to ride in those vehicles. It was very, very interesting. And and I think the more people see that and and even uh, maybe participate by by riding in a highly automated or fully autonomous uh, shuttle like those, uh, I think the public acceptance will will uh, will increase. That said, those deployments are on very carefully mapped and geofenced areas. So the, the safety level is very high when you have that kind of control. And that's the challenge, right, for a, a wider deployment, is that you, you need a lot of information, you need really good sensors on board, and all of that has to c- uh, converge in order to provide a, a safe ride um, uh, uh, for people.
0: So, yeah, you remind me that um, I need to check in on how it's done since the launch in Grand Rapids because I see them on the the circuit, you know, that they've created uh, every day. They go, you know, around the YMCA and the Grand Valley campus and then a loop through downtown and anecdotally. Um, you know, I see people using it, but I, I don't know the numbers, and I'm curious about that. And the same in Detroit. I'd like to, to find out if they're starting to grow their ridership. It would be interesting.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I know that uh, it's been very successful with Bedrock because they're shuttling people from remote parking structures to the various offices that are in the, the Bedrock group. And, and uh, that's great. I mean, uh, but, you know, back to the, the point about uh, data and information being required, Those routes are very carefully mapped. And uh, also, as you know, uh, the council has sponsored a a mapping project uh, with um, uh, a council member's company, Continental, Uh, to create a hyper-accurate high-definition map of certain state roadways in southeastern Michigan. That database will be available to any public or private entity that wants to do research and development in the state of Michigan. These sensor systems uh, are great, but you still need a hyper-accurate map in order to safely locate a vehicle on a roadway.
0: No, I'd call the council's work on that mapping project probably its, its most significant contribution so far, really. I agree. And you deserve some credit for that. So there you go.
1: Okay. Well, I wasn't trying to put a feather in my cap, but I do think people need to understand that, you know, just using, for example, a GPS uh, system to locate a vehicle gets you within two meters. Some systems are pretty good about a meter, but you've got to double that, right? You've got to think of a two lane highway, and, you know, two meters is a lot of slop. For locating a vehicle, one meter is still problematic. Hence, you need that hyper accurate map so that the vehicle knows precisely where it is.
0: Well, I think the question, the, the overall question about <clears throat> how quickly these evolve, re- really comes back to our multitasking ways and the fact that, you know, despite all kinds of campaigns and things telling people to, you know, put their phones down, put their devices down while they're driving. Humans are humans, and they're still going to do things. And until we can you know, make it so you can be in that car on your long commute and still be getting something done, I think that will really incentivize people. And so you'll see it on expressways and, and places where it makes more sense that, you know, like traffic is, is together because... You're not going to have those same issues trying to figure out, you know, how to accommodate scooters and dogs on skateboards. And speaking of which, do dogs on skateboards have the right-of-way?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. But, you know, you're reminding me of an ad. I, You know, I'll just mention it. It's a Geico ad. They, they do some pretty clever stuff. And they have all these dogs grabbing uh, smart devices away from their, their owner's yeah. vehicle. Yeah, Just Have you see? Yeah, yeah, To me, that is hilarious. I, I think... You, we should try to get a hold of that and and you know send it to everybody we know in the auto industry. I think it's absolutely uh, hilarious and 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 really to the point where you know you just have to put the thing uh, down. And I agree with you. I think you know if you're if you're talking about like a, a level two SAE level two, maybe even three. Although three is a little scary for me. Uh, if if we're talking about a a highway with, you know, um, uh, exits that are, that are not, you know, right next to each other and entrance ramps that aren't right next to each other, that's where we have a huge opportunity to, you know, make people's lives easier uh, on commutes and on long, on long trips. And I think the technologies are going to advance to the point where we will see that type of, of uh, deployment uh, maybe in, in the intermediate uh, term.
0: Yeah. Because, you know, and I think that's why the polling still shows that there's a, people, for the most part, don't think that this computer-driven vehicle could be safer than, than I am because I'm a good driver even though nobody else is, right?
1: So. Right, right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. And, and another uh, issue is that, you know, um, fully autonomous vehicles or a vehicle in highly automated driving mode Uh, has a tough time conveying what's called robotic intent to people in vehicles that are not highly automated. So a lot of the uh, crashes involving highly automated test vehicles are rear-enders because, let's say, a pedestrian begins to walk across the street in front of the highly automated vehicle. The person in back of the uh, highly automated vehicle sees the pedestrian. Maybe they make eye contact. and and they know that pedestrian is not going to just walk across in front of the highly automated vehicle the problem is the highly automated vehicle doesn't know that so it might slam on its brakes and then you have this rear ender and so uh the car companies are now struggling with another challenge which is how to convey robotic intent to people driving non-highly automated vehicles
0: yeah well let's uh Let's go ahead and move on to, to tolling and toll roads, and uh, this has generated a, a great deal of interest in Michigan. I think some of it is uh, probably uh, over-enthusiastic en- about how quickly something would happen and, and where it would be. There's There's interest all over the state, and my guess is that, you know, once the study is done, if anything happens, it's going to be Uh, on some pretty limited corridors, um, definitely, you know, downstate where where it makes most sense. But, uh, you know, what's what's your feeling about where Michigan is now, given its history, sort of rejecting a turnpike authority back in the 50s and not seriously revisiting it since then?
1: Okay, so the first thing I point out to folks is that um, we do have tolling in Michigan. Uh, The Mackinac Bridge has a toll. Uh, The other... International crossings, uh, Sault Ste. Marie and Port Huron, and, of course, in Detroit, uh, you have to pay a toll to yep. use a bridge That's or use a tunnel. True. All right. So um, in terms of feasibility, well, of course it's feasible. I mean, other states uh, have done it. I think um, the interest of the Council on Future Mobility in tolling is less about, you know, the revenue generated or, or how the money will be spent, but more to um, to make certain that technology is a part of the um, study and uh, hopefully a part of the ultimate uh, solution or deployment, if that's what uh, the legislature and the governor decide to do. And um, a number of states have done pilots that are very interesting. I, the one that, that um, comes to, to mind is in Oregon. It's called OraGo. It's been running for years, and they use a variety of mechanisms to uh do what I call non-traditional tolling, in other words, you, you don't have gantries, you don't have um, uh, toll booths and, and and people taking cash or, or throwing coins into baskets, uh, what they do is they actually track the vehicle miles traveled of these vehicles and apply a theoretical charge uh, to however uh, far they travel on a, a, determ- a predetermined uh, roadway. And, and if the, um, the bill becomes law uh, that's headed to the state Senate right now, if that becomes law ultimately, uh, I would urge uh, Michigan DOT to look at uh, the various connectivity technologies that could enable an innovative tolling solution in Michigan.
0: Yeah, that's the, the thing that obviously you know this a lot better than, than I do, but the, the, a lot of people's first thoughts are about the traditional infrastructure that they've seen in the states that have tolling and that just would not be the methodology anymore.
1: Well, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. You could do it. That's why I say it's certainly feasible. But, but using technology and the vehicle-to-infrastructure connectivity, uh, I think, is a, is a much more interesting and, and frankly, a, a, a better solution. And, and also, I, I just want to point out, uh, in terms of feasibility, uh, we can also deal with social equity concerns. So for folks that have lower income but need to use a toll road to get to work, to access health care, we can qualify them for a lower toll rate. And, yeah. and how d- how that's difficult, a huge opportunity.
0: How, yeah, that's, that, that came up in the Senate hearings, as you know, and that's a, that's a huge issue in other states. Um, have you seen another state deal with that in what you think is a is truly an equitable and and manageable way?
1: Well, I think a a number of states have have, uh, tried to do it in different ways. So, um, for example, this is now a a near-term future uh, situation, the Central Business District uh, Tolling Project in New York City. Uh, What they have done is decided to provide tax credits to lower-income people that are within the congestion zone now i personally am not a big fan of that i prefer just from a uh, practical accounting and reconciling perspective i would rather charge folks uh, a lower toll rate based on a qualification either lower income or if you're disabled and you need to access the area for health care uh that's how i would do it but new york state they decided to issue tax credits so that's an example of of how you could solve
0: that. So do you feel, and, and again, I know this, is, I'm just asking you for an opinion and not for you to, to weigh in in any official capacity, but is tolling a fairer fee or, or tax for drivers than the gas tax?
1: Okay, so so I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that, that question, because that's kind of loaded, but, but here's what I'll say, is that tolling with social equity integrated into the complete uh, solution and platform is not as regressive as having a gas tax right or a sales tax for that matter right because those taxes apply no matter what your income level is we can uh, design a tolling system uh, i think to be fair and equitable to folks who are uh, of, at lower income or have some other special social need that as a matter of policy we want to
0: address. Yeah, that, that would be a must, I think, to truly get, you know, bipartisan and broad support if, if the state does go ahead with it. But, you know, it's good to be thinking about it now, obviously. So let's uh, touch lastly on where you think things are going with electrical vehicle technology. And uh, again, I guess the same question that I had about automated vehicles, do you think that the the projections are are overly... Uh, enthusiastic for those who support electric vehicles or do you think this uh, this is really starting to take off?
1: So I believe that uh, public acceptance of electric vehicles is directly proportionate to the build out of EV charging infrastructure. Uh, and so if you have enough charging infrastructure to make people comfortable uh, to address the so-called range anxiety, I think you'll See people buying those vehicles, but if we don't address the charging infrastructure, uh, I think it'll be very difficult to get people to purchase those vehicles in in volume. Uh, I think the cost thing is is going to get worked out. the The cost of the batteries will drop uh, as volumes go up, so I'm not as concerned about you know the the pricing. Although new cars in general are are you know, very, very expensive and, and hence you see, you know, loans going out, you know, five, six, even seven years. But uh, back to charging infrastructure, I believe that's critical for uh, uh, public acceptance.
0: Yeah, so whenever I hear people talk about or, or I read about range anxiety, I, I feel like it's often raised as like this, this myth, mythical thing, but it's it's a very real thing. It's it's not just anxiety, it's 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 a real concern about whether I can get from here to here, right?
1: Sorry. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. So, as you know, uh, Michigan State University, at the behest of the Michigan e- Energy Office, did an analysis of what it would take to get from Detroit to Traverse City, right, uh, with uh, EV charging. Uh, and, uh, you, well, you can't do it today, right? And they identified where the charging stations would need to be, and, of course, you could put them there, right? Uh, but that's the kind of analysis you need to do all over the place. Uh, in order to get folks comfortable
0: yeah and we've got you know at least one champion in the legislature uh, representative David LeGrand from my city Grand Rapids who's who's pushing it with uh, with great vigor
1: right I have spoke with uh, Representative LeGrand and he's got a lot of creative ideas and I think that's good you've got to start the discussion you have to uh, have the debate about how we're going to finance build out of EV charging infrastructure. Uh, Public utilities, of course, they're they're in the business of selling electricity, and they would love to build out charging infrastructure, but they want that rate increase on everyone. So are the advocates
0: thinking enough about the batteries and battery disposal? Is this a lot like nuclear power when it first came on the scene and everybody was focused on how great it was going to be and nobody was thinking about the waste?
1: Okay, so I, I, won't, I won't go that far, but I, I don't think we've really thought through the battery recycling the way we need to, although uh, all of the car companies, to my knowledge, have folks that are actively working on recycling at, in parallel with the deployment of electric vehicle technology. So that's good. That's, that's really good. There's more good news, which is even when a battery is no longer suitable for powering a vehicle, it retains 70 to 80 percent of its charge capacity. At, why is this important? Because then we can use those to store electricity, to be able to charge electric vehicles, or to capture, let's say, solar power or wind. And then you charge uh, vehicles. They can be uh, integrated into the grid system and the transformer system so that when they no one needs the electricity, the electricity can go back and feed into the uh, grid. So, so there are opportunities here with um, uh, batteries that because you know, they, they don't retain 90 to 100% of their charge capacity, and that's really required for the acceleration and to provide the uh, the range. But we could still use them for other purposes. Yeah,
0: I think that that reuse component is really, really good, and I, I think that's that's got a lot of uh, benefits. So, well, more on that. And, uh, John, thanks for taking the time to do this. I'll definitely uh, talk to you again. And next time I'm going to ask you up front which questions you were hoping I won't ask, and then I'll ask those first.
1: So. <laughs> Uh, That'd be great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Look, it was was, uh, great to do this. Uh, Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Take care. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing
1: on Apple Podcasts.